Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Helm. Joining me in studio this week from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. From MDP and Motley Fool Rule Breaker, Simon Erickson. And from Motley Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, who? We've got the latest on real estate, restaurants, and industries that start with letters other than R. We will dip into the full mailbag. And as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin this week with the big macro. The October jobs report featured... 271,000 jobs added, and unemployment falling to a seven-year low, Ron Gross. This is a strong report. I fear I don't have anything negative to say, which really scares me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Strong report. I think the biggest thing, besides that blockbuster number, is is the wage number. Average hourly earnings actually increased nine cents. Doesn't sound like a lot. Translates into an annualized growth rate of 2.5%, best since 2009. So we've got low unemployment, that U6 full unemployment number we talk about, down under 10% now at 9.8, best since May 2008. So we've got good job growth. We've got wage growth, finally. The only cynical thing I'll say (laughs) is that probably means a a rate hike is coming in December. At least it gives the Fed the ammunition um, it needs if it wants to do that. Um, but overall, I really think this is a strong report. Yeah, but Jason, you're not worried about a quarter percent rate hike. I don't need to jump on Ron's case here, so I then really don't. Won't. But I mean, you know, I do think that is he, he he does. I think pose really the dilemma here, right? Is that we see all of this good news, and it's trying to figure out, okay, well, who is this actually good news for? I mean, it is good news for people out there who need a job. It's good news for the economy. Yet we're we're kind of stifled here uh, with with this you know free money interest rate policy. And at some point, we need to start bumping those rates up. Actually, bumping those rates up could be a good thing uh, in the long term. It certainly would be a bit more indicative of a, of a healthier economy. And so, it's just really interesting to see good news comes out, yet the market figures out a way to sort of frame it in a, in a pessimistic way. It's like you, you, have, you have this, this dilemma, this sort of this, the, the Main Street versus Wall Street. I think that becomes that comes a little bit more to the forefront here as, as we talk more about these, these good jobs numbers. Wait, wait, wait. So, you're saying we don't get free money forever? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if we could talk after the show. So. <laughs> All right, let's get to some of the companies reporting earnings this week. Facebook's third quarter profits rose 11%, and shares of the social network hitting an all time high this week. Simon, if Apple is all about the iPhone, it kind of seems like Facebook is all about the mobile. The mobile, yes. Mobile was 78% of ad revenue this, this quarter, Chris, continues to be the foundation of this business. Facebook's now 1.55 billion monthly active users. I mean, this is a $300 billion company. We've talked before, I think it's going to be the first trillion dollar company, as we've said on the show previously. But I don't think that investors have missed the boat, even with the, uh, the fantastic gains this company has seen. Facebook's on track to do about $16 billion of global ad revenue. That's about two-thirds of the global spend on social network advertising. But it's still only 4% of the total worldwide ad spend, but it's becoming more and more important over time. Jason, it's kind of hard to believe that once upon a time there were legitimate questions about whether or not Facebook could make money off of mobile. We all had them, and I think now we've completely hit the other end of the spectrum where they are starting to report these numbers that become mind-numbingly large. And so, I mean, I even pose this as a as a just a 
Twitter poll. I wanted to get a quick feel of like which absurdly large number loses more meaning as the quarters go by: Apple's cash or Facebook's users. Now it was actually pretty close. Fifty-six percent said Apple's cash, forty-four percent said Facebook's users. But but I do think it's interesting. Just it, it is a pretty close little little race there because you are to the point now where it's, these numbers are so large. Show me something else here. I mean, are they going to really be able to monetize? It's it, it's worth mentioning. I mean. Google still makes a heck of a lot more money than Facebook at this point. Granted, Facebook is growing faster, but that has a very large user base. I mean, we'll want to see them continue to grow those sales at a rapid clip. The network is very clearly in place for Facebook at this point. It doesn't matter if it's 1.55 or 1.7 billion. Now it's going back to advertising 101, which is figuring out who your demographic that you want to advertise to is and what kind of content you want to put in front of them. Facebook's building out some really cool tools, one of which being virtual reality to expand on that latter part. Fourth quarter profits for the Walt Disney Company came in higher than expected. Uh, Jason, still a little bit of cord cutting going on in their cable business, but the theme parks looking pretty strong in this quarter. Theme parks looking strong, and and I think that every quarter that goes by, we continue to really we need to harp on just the fact there's so much strength in Disney's diversity, and really that's that's what uh, you know this quarter shows again. Last quarter, remember there was a lot of crisis quarter in this sort of ESPN. What in the world's going to happen here? Cable subscribers are leaving. You know, Iger on the call, Bob Iger. He may not have been defiant, but he certainly sounded very confident regarding ESPN. Uh, and honestly, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think there is a great opportunity for ESPN to get in front of more eyeballs than ever before with the over-the-top opportunities. More more smartphones and tablets out there than there are TVs. I mean, those are redefining what a TV altogether is. Uh, and beyond the parks, the studio entertainment segment their operating income in the studio entertainment segment more than doubled and it represented 15% of the company's total operating income versus 9% a year ago now that's thanks to success with inside out and ant-man versus the movies guardians of the galaxy and maleficent from a year ago so either way you look at it this year last year a lot of strong properties there but i think that really shows you how well those movies performed this year uh, and ron two words Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could be big. Is it priced into the stock yet? You, the conventional wisdom would say yes, but I think in reality we always end up finding that it actually is not the case. Um, I always think this stock is one you can pretty much buy at any point in time, keep it as a core, sock it away in your portfolio, and look at it 20, 30 years from now. We're about six weeks away from our year in review episode of Motley Fool Money, and I'm pretty confident that one of the things we'll be talking about is, the, at least in 2015, the duopoly that you have in the movie industry between Disney and Comcast, which owns Universal Pictures, those two companies with nine of the top ten grossing movies so far this year. It's it's pretty extraordinary. Wow. Zillow's third quarter revenue came in higher than expected, but shares still down more than ten percent this week. This this looked like a good report to me, Simon. What am I missing here? Well, the one that didn't really make the headlines was two fifty fifty. Are the numbers to keep in mind? <clears throat> third quarter adjusted EBITDA of thirty million dollars was was up fifty percent year over year, and it came in fifty percent over their own internal expectations. So this is a more efficient platform now that you've got Zillow and Trulia together. The acquisition worked. And you're appealing now not only to to home sellers, which is what Zillow is traditionally good at, but also home buyers, um, which was I'm sorry, uh, which was the truly a piece of that too. 
So I, I think that this is now less about flooding agents onto this platform. You've got about 100,000 agents, but you're really appealing to the power users of this. Uh, they sold about 69% of total bookings came to existing advertisers, and the average monthly revenue per advertiser was up 20% year over year. Look for the 80-20 rule to be in effect for the new Zillow. And I got the sense from the conference call that Spencer Raskoff, like, it's almost like you were talking, Jason, about Bob Iger, sort of like, what was he really trying to say? I got the sense that Spencer Raskoff was kind of trying to say, hey, look, just hold on for a couple more months. Just let's wait until we get into 2016. Then you're going to see money rolling in. He's always looking five, ten years out for his business, which is something we love at The Motley Fool, too. And I think that's very representative of a CEO we like. Coming up, one stock hitting a four-year low while another hits an all-time high. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Simon Erickson, and Ron Gross. Whole Foods' fourth quarter report featured the company's first decline in same-store sales in more than five years, and guidance for the next fiscal year was basically flat. Whole Foods co-founder John Mackey is a member of the Motley Fool's board of directors. And Jason, you got a bad quarter, you've got ho-hum guidance, and despite all of that, the stock was still up a couple of percentage points for the week. I'm wondering if this is sort of the bottom you know, so we were talking about this before Whole Foods announced was like, regardless what they said, could it really get any worse? I mean, the stock really has just had a very, very tough year. And I think that at least we're maybe seeing some element of that. I mean, the two big questions for Whole Foods investors right now revolve around comps and margins. And, and, Neither situation looks all that great here, at least in the near in the near term. I mean, management has certainly ratcheted back expectations in regard to both. We know that they're going to be challenged on the margin side, and comps are very indicative of actual traffic. Uh, and if <laughs> if your store is not getting traffic and you can't, you know, maintain you know some element of pricing because you're you're part of your competitive advantage is your brand equity, then you're going to run into problems. And that's what we're seeing now. Now, I think the good here is that at least management has jumped out in front of here and they're owning this. And they've, they've, you know, they understand that this is a far more competitive environment than it was five years ago. Uh, they have nine points, nine sort of initiatives they, they will be undertaking in order to try to address these challenges. Whether those actually all shake out or not is that's an entirely different story. But they will be attempting to return some capital to shareholders in the in the time being, which is interesting with a debt averse management company. They're going to take out about a billion dollars in long term debt. They're going to buy back about a billion dollars in shares. Now, if you use but as Simon prices, said, it's free money forever. It's free money Simon forever. Said. Now, I mean, it's it's easy to pile on and say, hey man, why would a company borrow money to buy back shares? Now, to their credit, it is a very low interest rate interest rate environment. And if if they went with today's prices and bought those shares back, they could reduce the share count outstanding by close to ten percent. Uh, the concern there is that with a business that's looking to double or even triple its store base. Aren't there better uses for that money? And apparently, right now, it doesn't seem so. My question with them: they obviously have pricing challenges, and we see prices coming down. How low can they get? It's still a premium product. When I go in there, I'm still not getting out of there with kind of a hit to the wallet. <laughs> Is this ever going to come down to the point of where it even kind of? Could compete with like a Harris Teeter or so something. So, based like that. on what management said in the call, and, and I tend to take them at this, is they claim they are not going to get stuck in a race to the bottom. I mean, they intend on maintaining some element of pricing there because they continue to maintain that the quality of the food that they're selling is superior. For the most part, that's correct. Yeah, However, anybody who shops at Whole Foods and has done so over the past few years, you 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 see that. I mean, there is more 365 uh, sort of store brand stuff in there every week. It seems like so they mm -hmm. they are certainly 
uh, catering more towards you know the everyday shopper and that investment in price you know sort of catchphrase that we see every 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 quarter. That's that's just code for hey we're lowering prices and margins are going to take a hit. Hopefully they can offset some of that with some growth in that 365 by Whole Foods concept. The smaller stores, but they are going up against a very competitive environment there with smaller concepts like Trader Joe's. So a lot of uncertainty out there right now, and I think I think it's fair to say that's what the market uh, is is sort of why the, why the market's not so keen on the stock right. Now. I would say that what they have going for for them with respect to the Trader Joe's competition is Trader Joe's is very weak on produce. I mean, it's extremely really, really tough agree. to buy anything there, and Whole Foods is very strong. Yep, absolutely. Shares of Visa hitting an all-time high this week after fourth quarter profits rose 12%, and payments volume growth for the quarter hit 1.3 trillion. That is trillion with a T, Ron. Yeah, <laughs> strong quarter. Visa having a good year, up 20% uh, the stock so far. Global payment volume up 12%. Total transactions processed were up 8%. They authorized a new $5 billion repurchase program, um, and they had previously announced a 17% increase in the dividend, so returning um, capital to shareholders. It's nice. So, pretty good quarter. The biggest news is, however, is that they're going to actually buy Visa Europe for $23 billion. This has been discussed for quite some time. This is going to happen. Uh, the combined entities will have $2.9 billion cards in its network. It, it makes perfect sense for, to get the band back together. There used to be Becker in the earlier 2000s, um, one company. Makes perfect sense for Visa to, to really want to um, control their destiny in Europe and have that exposure. So, that's, that's to me, even bigger news than, than a solid quarter. Order. And kind of like we were talking before, it's hard to remember that there were legitimate questions about Facebook making money off of mobile. You go back a few years, and there were a lot of people looking at Visa and MasterCard and saying, gosh, with mobile payment like PayPal and private companies like Square, you know, et cetera, et cetera, boy, these guys might be in trouble. That hasn't played out at all. That hasn't played off at all. The business model is strong. And this is one of those kind of companies that, that I just said um, before, where you can really buy this company and just sock it away and I think let, let it do its thing, do its thing. It'll grow nicely over time. Won't knock the cover off the ball. It's not a technology company, but it's just a nice, solid company with a great business model. FireEye, the cybersecurity company, reported record, record revenue for the third quarter, but that was still below what analysts were expecting, and the stock hit an all-time low this week. Simon, this is one of yours. What's going on, man? So, so let's talk about those technology companies that can knock the, the, the ball out of the park, right, but also or, or the park can knock the ball right. out of the. <laughs> this one unfortunately saw the other occurrence. Uh, FireEye set the bar too high for themselves last quarter. They raised their their forecast for billings and came up short this quarter. Um, market took the hammer to them down. You know, stocks down twenty percent in the last couple of days. Largely due to weakness in Europe, uh, they also had a tough comp with with last year's too, and they had an, an eight digit deal with the federal government. But you know their shift. The story for me on this one, Chris, is this shift from selling products to selling these recurring subscriptions now, which are higher margin, more profitable for investors. We saw a 59% growth in FireEyes of service revenue. About 50% of the top line is now coming from subscriptions, and they've got more than 90% renewal rates. Cybersecurity vendors are now providing a solution rather than just a product for their customers. Let me spot you up with a quote from CEO Dave DeWalt from the conference call that's getting some attention. And DeWalt on the call said, I believe this change in customer buying patterns is at least partly due to changes in the threat landscape in the wake of global cybersecurity agreements we've seen with China that is making headlines since September. That kind of sounds like he's saying peace treaties are bad for this business. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> the, uh, the, I think that the uh, the other way to see that is though that cybersecurity is not something you can look at as a six month phenomenon, right? This is something that, that continues to go on, even if you have 
peace treaties or whatever you want to call them in the short term. And there's a, a small decrease in, in a quarter over quarter um, macro market for this, there's still going to be cyber attacks out there. You're still going to have big companies that don't want to pay the $300 million like Target got hit with two years ago to clean up these data breaches. I think it's still a really big problem. And I think that you need innovation in this industry with companies like FireEye. Shares of TripAdvisor down 9% on Friday after a disappointing third quarter report. Uh, Jason, revenue is on the rise, but so are expenses. Yeah, and I mean, I don't actually. I'm gonna count. I'm gonna. I'm gonna push back a little bit on a disappointing quarter. I think this is. If you if you look into this, this is actually a pretty encouraging quarter. Uh, Investors it, it appear is for, to it think is, otherwise. It depends on. It depends on your your level of patience here. I mean, I think the reason why they ratcheted back their guidance though is 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 a good reason, right? And so it is this relationship with Priceline that was formed over the quarter uh, that is the reason why we're seeing an initial uh, pullback sort of in in the sales growth here because they're. They're investing in rolling out, accelerating this rollout of this instant booking uh, product that they have, um, the partnership that they have with Priceline. Ultimately, what it's going to do is bring a lot of inventory onto TripAdvisor's platform, uh, which ultimately should create plenty of traffic, plenty of commissions, and plenty of, of economic benefit for both companies. Now, with that said, it is certainly understandable that you know investors look at this and they say, "Wow, they missed on sales, they missed on earnings. Oh well, hum, let's get on out of here." But but I, I think you know this is still something they they haven't even lost really. What we saw was the price. Line pop when that news was additional or initially announced. So, I mean, what we have here is a business that is is making investments today uh, to ensure the long term success of the business. Now, if we look here a year, two years down the road, and we still see this this sort of management team spinning its wheels and not really providing any any real light at the end of the tunnel, then I think it's fair for investors to say, okay, wait a minute, what's going on here? But for right now, this is a management team that's making good decisions to ensure the long term success of the business. Jason, I haven't looked at the stock in a while. Is this kind of one of those situations where it was priced to perfection and the short term guys adjust? Going to sell out if the numbers don't come in as strong as they need them to be to support the valuation. I think that's a great observation, and I think that really it's interesting to note that we haven't seen this stock sell off all the way back down to before to the levels where it stood before uh, when, when the Priceline deal was announced. So I think there was a lot of optimism going into this earnings announcement. Maybe that optimism, at least in the near term, wasn't realized, and so you do see some bailing out on the stock today. But but I think even the stock is coming back around a little bit, and uh, yeah, we're very encouraged over an MDP. It's a whole we have, we're constantly talking about adding to it. We got about a minute left. What's number one? You've traveled a lot, but what's number one on your list of places you haven't been to yet? We'll go around the table real quick. Oh wow, places I haven't been. Hmm, You're that's well a traveled. good question. I feel like I've been to a number of places. Turks and Caicos, I guess, is one Ooh. that, or Caicos, whatever, is is one that I think uh, would be interesting. Simon, base camp of Mount Everest. <laughs> That's not me. <laughs> I'm going to Tuscany, and I've never been, and I may not come back once I get there. Yeah, but you can't get a village in Tuscany. They're all taken. <laughs> That's true. How about you, Chris? I think I'll hang out with Ron in Tuscany. Don't get, nothing personal, Simon, but I don't think the base camp is for me either. It's, it's the bottom. That's not the top. Uh, all right. We'll see you later in the show. Columnist Morgan Housel is next. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. I've been having some hard traveling, I thought you knowed. I've been having some hard traveling way down the road. I've been having some hard traveling, hard rambling, hard gambling. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio now, the one and only Morgan Housel. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm all right. You getting some sleep? You're a new dad. I'm sleeping. <laughs> I mean, a little. 
a little bit. Less than before. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. But let's start with the last time you were on the show, it was sort of the middle of the spring, early May. Uh, then following couple of months, not particularly exciting for the stock market. The same cannot be said for the last few months we've had, where in late August, the market tanks. The bears, holy cow, the bears coming out in force and really banging the drum that this is the end of times as yeah. we know it. That's followed by October, where the market was up 9%. It's the single best month the stock market has had in four years. When you think about that roller coaster, what goes through your mind? You know, it had been almost four years since the stock market had declined 10%. The last time was in late 2011. That's a long time to go without a 10% decline. It's, it was, I think, the third longest period in history that stocks have gone without falling 10%. Uh, so, I, I always hate to say you're overdue for something like this because that's not really how markets work. But it had been so long since stocks fell 10% that I think people get complacent. And when they get complacent, you are setting up the odds of the market falling become much higher. So, any sort of bad news that hits the markets, whether it was trouble in Europe or trouble in China, which is some of the things we saw this summer, uh, it, when the market is that complacent, it's been going up for so long, it's just more liable to fall. But also, people, it's really important, the history of the stock market is that a 10% correction like that happens on average once a year. And when it occurs, it takes six to eight months for it to recover on average. So, we, we almost made up all of the losses in one month in October. That recovery is faster than normal. But these sort of big events in the stock market, what look like big events, I think are much more common than people think. So they really shouldn't worry investors. But do you think that investors maybe get a little bit more worried, in part because there are so many ways to get financial information? And partly because, I mean, I don't want to just single out the bears. You know, we have prognosticators on Wall Street who are bearish and are bullish, and they have any number of microphones available to them at any moment, whether it is to talk up or talk down a particular company or just the market in general. So it seems like, however prepared for volatility investors needed to be, say, 30 years ago, it almost feels like you have to really be even more prepared now just because. It feels like it's more likely now, even if it's not. What's definitely true in the media is that fear sells much better than optimism. And it's not only does it sell more, uh, it sounds more intelligent, I think, than optimism, even if historically it's totally wrong. Historically, you should be bullish. That's what, that's what history tells us we should do in the stock market, be bullish over the long run. But fear is always going to sound better than optimism, because optimism it's easy to make optimism sound like you're complacent, like like you're just saying, "Oh, everything's going to be great, and everything's you know ignore sweep these problems under the rug." That's what optimism can sound like, whereas pessimism sounds like this guy knows something I don't, and people are much more likely to pay attention to that. It's rarely true, but it gets people's attention, and I think that's why you have a summer like we did um, this summer when stocks fell, you know. 10% in August, something like that, people really start paying attention to the, the doom headlines and the doom opinions. It's almost always to their detriment, but that's but people just fall into the snowballing trap of the market falls and they pay attention to the doom headlines and that makes the market fall even more because people get scared and they sell and they pay more attention to the doom. And it really kind of cascades into something, sometimes it cascades as far as something like we saw in 2008, where the doom story just goes so far that a lot of people end up believing it and it kind of self-perpetuates. We're in the middle of earnings season. Obviously, Apple 
Microsoft, Google slash Alphabet. I still really can't get used to referring to Google as Alphabet. But I, I don't ever want to do it. Let's <laughs> let's just not. You want to on the show? Let's not play along. I feel it's like Google. That, I feel like that would be disrespectful to a really huge company. So I, you know, I, for now I'll just go Google slash Alphabet. Do you know? Do you know Microsoft used to be called Microsoftware? Way back in the day. Way back in the day. Way way back. In Were the you day. even alive when it was called Microsoftware? No. Okay. No. Uh, but those companies, they're already way up there in market cap. But now we have, in the wake of their most recent earnings, we have Facebook and Amazon that have cleared the, the yeah. $300 billion market cap. Do you know Amazon is almost twice as large as Walmart now in market cap? Almost. Isn't that amazing? It kind of is. Walmart's, when you, I, I just when you consider today. the run, the decades long run that Walmart had, I think that is. When Amazon that... was founded, Walmart was a multi billion dollar established company. And now Amazon's market cap today was about 300 billion. Walmart's was, I think, about 180. So not quite double, but getting close. It's pretty, it's crazy. Does the speed of Amazon's rise to 300 billion, and in particular Facebook's, which I think might be the fastest rise ever to that mark, yeah. does that surprise you? It's impressive. I don't know if it surprises me. So much of what goes on today in business is a winner-take-all society. A lot of that is because back in the day, if we're talking about 50 or 100 years ago, business was much more local. Whereas today, everything is totally globalized. And in that sense, it's, you know, it's really difficult to grow a steel company into a massive organization because that's, that's local. You have a steel plant in Kansas that supplies steel to Kansas and the surrounding areas. It's a local business. But something like Facebook, where very quickly you can scale you know, from a dorm room uh, in Palo Alto, you can scale it to people in China and, and Africa. And scaling that quickly, it just creates a winner-take-all society where one company is going to dominate an industry and become very big. Warren Buffett has this example of, um, back in the day, each town had its own boxers and its own opera singers. Uh, and every town had one, and they and, and they weren't that good. But every town had their boxers, their opera singers that people went out and saw. And then with TV and radio, it became there was going to be uh, one or two nationwide known boxers and a couple of opera singers that were incredibly good because they could broadcast themselves out to the world. So their pay skyrocketed because rather than there being hundreds of boxers across the country, professional boxers, there were only a few who were very high, who captured everything at that moment. And I think that's becoming truer for companies too. That rather than localized small companies that capture their local market, it's a couple companies that capture the entire pond. How much of that do you think has to do with choice and just the the number of choices that people have at their disposal and what we know about decision making and sometimes it's just a whole lot easier to go you know what, I'm just going to go with that I mean that's I mean people joke about that with Starbucks but yeah. there is there is a little something to that when if you're traveling you're looking for a Starbucks as opposed to I'm going to roll the dice with this local coffee shop yeah, I think that yeah, that, that that's definitely true. I mean, people like familiarity, and then the whole business model of companies like Starbucks, and McDonald's and Chipotle, is is by and large based on familiarity. You know that if you go to Chipotle in New York or L.A. or Seattle or Kansas, you're going to get the same product, and people people like that. Uh, as we discussed at the top, since the last time you were on the show, you and your wife are now parents. Congratulations! Thank you. Yeah. Brand new baby boy. Um, you wrote a column. Writer after he was born, entitled "Financial Advice for My Son," which got so much praise and just got circulated around the internet so many times. 
Um, what are a couple of uh, tips for anyone who has young children? A couple of things you'd like to share that that because it was essentially an open letter to your son. Yeah. That obviously he's not going to read for a long time. So I mean, we're we're not, not yeah. we're not taking anything away from him. <laughs> so what what are a couple of things from that that stand out to you? One of the pieces of, of advice that I that I put in the article was to not assume that all success is earned. That so much of people's outcomes in in like in life is luck, and it's easy to overlook that. Several years ago, we interviewed Robert Schiller, Yale economist, who won the Nobel Prize. And he said, people have to remember that your own thoughts are not your own thoughts. And, and, and then we, I, I kind of shook my head, what do you mean by that? And he said, everything you know is a product of the people you've met and the experiences you've had. And almost all of those are outside of your control. And to me, that was pretty powerful. Like So much of uh, you know, what job you have, what spouse you have, is all just kind of luck and randomness. And people don't want to think about that, but I think it's really true. And then, so, so the advice that I gave in the article, by the way, you didn't lead with that when you proposed to your wife, did you? Like, no, hey, I said, look, look you just kind of got stuck with, you know, this is you rolled the dice and this is what came up. <laughs> this is what happened. And you know, so the the advice I put in the article was, you know, uh, not all not all success is due to hard work, and not all poverty is due to laziness. And keep that in mind when judging other people, including yourself. Um, you're a voracious reader. Um, Not you, anymore. I mean, now and now I try to be a voracious sleeper. I was going to say you were a voracious reader, um, <laughs> but you know, I mean, you can read things in a book that can only take you so far. You can read a book about skydiving, but until you jump out of an airplane with a parachute strapped to your back, you don't really know what it's like. Yeah, I, I'm sure you read at least a book or two about parenting. Yeah. Now that you're a parent, what's one or two things that you know that you didn't know previously, just from having read a book? I've been impressed with our ability to function on so little sleep. I mean, that's really, I, I feel like before before having a kid, if you had a bad night's sleep, I'd be a wreck the next day. And now for whatever reason, it's like you just, you just get up and, and, and go on with it. Maybe it's just necessity. But I, I've been impressed. We'll see how long. We're only three weeks into it. So maybe if, you, if I'm back on the show in another six weeks, um, you'll just hear a loud thud as I fall asleep and hit the <laughs> microphone. But once you get past the first month, it's really easy to sleep through the night. Is that true? No, that's not even <laughs> true. You can follow him on Twitter. You can read his stuff. He's without question my favorite financial columnist, Morgan Housel. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Mommy had a little baby. There he is, fast asleep. Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio once again, Jason Moser, Simon Erickson, and Ron Gross. Uh, guys, before we get to the stocks on our radar, a couple more news items to get to. We'll also dip into the full mailbag. But let's start with Michael Kors and some surprising second quarter results, Ron, thanks to some strong numbers in China. E-commerce sales looking pretty good, too. 
Yeah, but I, I didn't think the report was that strong. It was just better than expected, one of those kind of situations. The stock is still down 42% on the year. Um, Kate Spade, Coach, they're all kind of struggling, and just pick the month of which one is struggling more. Um, Coors had had a good run-up for, for quite some time, but this is not a great report, in my opinion. Revenue was up about 6.9%, 12% if you exclude currency, but profits were down almost 7%. Um, and again, that was better than expected. But they've been forced to lower guidance. Um, they're, they even blame tourism uh, being weak as a result of the strong dollar, which hurt their business. Uh, there's a trend towards smaller handbags, and they're not positioned well at the moment, and they're hoping to, to roll out a new uh, line in the spring to combat that. Their licensing business was down 8.1%. So overall, I, I think they're experiencing some trouble here, and they're going to need to revamp their product line much the way we've seen Coach have to kind of pivot. And it's going to be somewhat of an uphill battle, and we'll just have to wait and see. Shares of Chipotle down this week after the company closed more than 40 restaurants in the Pacific Northwest due to an outbreak of E. coli food poisoning. Jason, looks like the company moved fast on this one, but this is the type of thing that can cripple a restaurant chain. You know, I have to say, I had Chipotle one night, and then the very next morning saw this news break, and it made my tummy hurt <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but, but no, I mean, I think you know, this is part and parcel of the restaurant business, right? I mean, they deal in food. On an everyday basis, so you see this happen. It's unfortunate, but it's just the nature of the beast. Now, I think that if there is one management team in the world that you want dealing with something like this, then then Chipotle's is it. And and in the context of years, when we look at this and we think this is an investment that we would love to hold for the next. 5, 10, 15, even 20 years. In the context of years, this is just a blip. This is something that will be forgotten immediately unless it happens again. I was and just going to say. Key. <laughs> that's the key, right? It's it, it's one thing if it happens once. It's another if you start seeing a pattern. And so, that's, what, that's really what we'll need to keep an eye on. We saw a couple of uh, smaller investment firms downgrading the stock. And I think you're right to, to pivot off of that. I think if it happens again, and it doesn't have to happen again soon, it just needs to happen again, I would say, in the next three to five years, then you'll see probably some of the bigger firms coming out and, and downgrading the stock. Definitely, because it brings in a lot of questions regarding their supply chain. And they are already facing a lot of questions regarding their supply chain, because they have such high standards. Radio at Fool.com is our email address. That's Radio at Fool.com. From Mario Zaccaratos, who writes, Hi, guys. I started listening to your show recently. Love the information and bantering. Just wanted to let you know that the Swagway is gaining popularity and may be a very hot item this Christmas season. It's like a Segway without the handlebar and vertical bar. I don't think it's produced by a publicly traded company. The website is Swagway.com. Keep up the good work. Uh, Mario pivoting off of our conversation last week with Nicole Sinclair and the idea that there doesn't really seem to be a hot gadget this holiday season. And I checked out the website, Ron. Yeah. I've never even stepped on a Segway, so I'm I'm certainly not looking to jump on a Segway that doesn't have a bar I can hold on to. I've been on a Segway a couple of times, and it's very cool, very fun. Once you get the hang of it, I can't imagine even beginning to control this thing without any hand, uh, you know, controls or anything like that. It seems really. Prone to accidents. Simon, you're the youngest person at the table. <laughs> you can handle falling off one of these, can't you? I would like to know if it's illegal to text when you're driving one of these things. 
Uh, if it's not, then maybe this is a brilliant way to get around Alexander. I played golf not long ago with a guy that actually used one of those in lieu of a cart or walking to get around the golf course. Had his golf bag on, they just step on and just tootle up and down the golf course on the cart path and on the grass and everything. I gotta say, he was fine. Cut. He was fine. Now he was certainly half my age. So, so I mean, to your point, I'm sure he could probably take a fall much better than I could. Uh, but, but it did pique my interest with a couple of kids. I can't help but think they may be wanting one of these at one point or another. Let's get to the important question: Who won the round? Oh well, I. Let's get to the stocks on our radar this week. Ron Gross, you're up first. What are you looking at? I've got another deep value radar stock. Um, not yet a recommendation. It's a small company called Haverty Furniture (HVT). They're a small furniture retailer, similar to maybe you've heard of Bassett Furniture or even a Lazy Boy, Ethan Allen, uh, maybe even a Pier One. That kind of a retailer. Five hundred million dollar market cap. Pretty small company, but solidly profitable. Really strong balance sheet. The problem is it's a tough competitive business. Retail in general, specialty retail, 3% profit margins, really, really thin. So I got to dig in on that. 123 stores, mostly in the southern and midwestern US, Texas and Florida specifically. Companies controlled by the Haverty family and the current CEO, another risk that, that I, I keep an eye on, but looks awfully cheap. 1.5 times book, 6 times EBITDA, no growth whatsoever really baked into the current valuation. So, if they can continue to grow, even at a slow pace, this could be an undervalued stock. Any kind of e-commerce presence for a business like this? I actually haven't looked into that. I would imagine there's there's some, but I, in the numbers, I didn't see anything to any great extent. All right, Simon Erickson, what are you looking at? Well, first of all, Ron, you had me at Texas and Lazy Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing more to say. You've got my my vote. Uh, I'm looking at Arista Networks ticker A N E T. This is a rule breakers recommendation. We're also looking at it right now for MDP. Company makes high performance Ethernet switches using a a cloud based operating system to more efficiently move data around between data centers. And what does that mean in English? Well, why does this matter, right? There's a ton you of lost data. me at data centers. <laughs> it's a ton of data going all over the place these days. It started with high speed trading. Now we've got genomic sequencing. We've got predictive analytics, and we're going. We're familiar with terabytes. Now we're getting into petabytes, exabytes, and Chris, zettabytes now. So you need to be able to have a a provider that actually is able to do the switching and make sure all that data gets around more efficiently. Up next is the (laughs) (laughs) WTF-abyte. Jason Moser, what are you looking at? These guys did not report any E. coli concerns, but the (laughs) the way the stock acted after the report, you would think they did. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, a foolish favorite we have in a number of services here. Uh, Slowdown in in comps uh, traffic there, and and really a lot of ratcheted back guidance and earnings growth has just really sent this stock just just down to the basement here over the past uh, few months. And and, and I think, honestly, it's brought it back down to sort of reality now. It, It was Price for a lot of growth expectations, and those those expectations have been have been brought back sort of down to earth, so to speak. But I think there are reasons to be optimistic. Still, plenty of market opportunity out there to grow, even beyond uh, the Buffalo Wild Wings concept to the Pizza Rev and the R Taco concepts they have. Not to mention any others that they may bring under that umbrella. And and Sally Smith, really the sort of secret weapon there, CEO since 1996. She's Taking the company public, shareholders have certainly won with her at the helm there. My biggest question is, how long is she planning on staying? 
but but this is one I brought over to the MDP uh, watch list, and and we continue to kick it around and and uh, see if it's not one uh, worth adding to the portfolio. What do we think about the quality of the wings? Let's get down to what really matters. Now, or, I'm or, not or, a real wings aficionado. Like I mean, I'll I'll do some market research every now and then, very selfless market research. Have you ever way. left saying, man, that was awesome? I've left saying that was very good. Yeah, I mean, I, I, but again, like a, I'm not a guy with a I lot of wings exposure. Right. I don't. You know? I think they're fine, yeah. and it's easy to go to if you're in the mood for wings. But I don't think they stand out. I, I think we know what our homework is this weekend. Done. <laughs> All right, Ron Gross, Simon Erickson, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money and Henry helping us out behind the glass this week. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. 